Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We have just watched three episodes of The Mind Robber. In fact, the final three episodes, episodes three, four, and five, in about as long as it would have taken to watch two episodes <laughs> of Another Story. Yeah, pretty much. They were short. Yep. Uh, episode five is the, I believe, the shortest episode in Doctor Who history at 18 minutes and nine seconds or something like that. 18 minutes, 11 seconds. It was 11. I was I was double, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Second guessing myself. Mm-hmm. So when you take away credits and stuff, and like even like that, the next time the invasion thing on the end, it's like, there's like 16 minutes worth mm-hmm. of content in that episode. I would like to make it clear that we did not skip the credits. We always, never, always watch the opening and closing credits. It's very important. I have, um, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever fast forwarded through either opening or closing credits in like my life like though that has been a sacred i mean you know i've let them play out and go and do something or perhaps but uh but i don't think i've like it just seems blasphemous to do that yeah it does i i guess i can't i've been watching doctor who for so many years i don't know for sure i can't promise that that never happened but i certainly don't have any memory of ever doing that i've always i always remember watching credits that's good that's why we got married (laughs) <laughs> that is that is it that is the single solitary reason yeah. <laughs> that one one thing only yeah. uh before we get into talking about the mind robber i just want to point out that um that you know how people have uh as we record this in the future space year of 2019 uh <laughs> <laughs> go on um there's a there's a thing going around twitter where people are offering up their hot takes on doctor who stories uh, yep. uh i just wanted to point out since we just watched the dominators um who was it i think it might have been james Curie smith who uh gave his hot take on the dominators and he specifically said it was hilarious or funny or something so i would just like to point out that my view that it is a comedy 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 is apparently not uh i'm not the only one who thinks that so there meh meh Mm -hmm. well i'm sorry i just (laughs) like it for what it is a good stand-up science fiction story it's a stand-up science fiction comedy that too Anyway, uh, let's let's get to this one, which is um, maybe stand up, not terribly science fictiony. It's very fantasy, fantasy, but then it gets kind of more science fictiony to the end. Because Doctor Who always sort of has to have a science fiction bent to explain everything, right? A little bit. Yep. Yeah. So it's 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 so weird. This is such a strange story because it's never really explained. Like they end up in a world of. Fiction, but is it? Are they really actually like you know? They're outside of time and space. They say, but are they? Because then there's this thing that wants to take over Earth, and Earth is in time and space, and this isn't, and it's just weird. Well, because it's outside of time and space, so it wants to bring in Earth and all its culture and fiction, I guess, and occupy that universe so that it'll be transported from Earth, and the Earth is left vacant for this computer to go and colonize it. It's to come out of the, to go into time and space yes. and co- colonize it with what itself. Yeah, I feel like it. It uh, the story doesn't um, isn't quite as tight around the end as I would like it to be. Although there's one thing that I noticed this time that I feel like I was kind of annoyed about before, okay. um, and that was the uh, well, not really annoyed about, but just the fact that okay. So it just ends with the TARDIS coming back together and we never hear anything about what happens to the, the poor fellow who worked for the Ensign magazine. I would just like to point out mm-hmm. Ensign, my last name, said in Doctor Who twice. Correctly. 
Yeah, pronounce the, the pronounce the right way. Um, Not like Star Trek: The Next Generation. All those yeah. ensigns and ensign <laughs> Wesley Crusher got it wrong. Uh, Teehee. Um, I'd rather be a magazine in Doctor Who than a uh, the than uh, a red shirt. Than, yeah, than a red shirt. I was yeah. going to say than a rank, but yeah. that's fine. Um, but I was was always kind of like, so what happened to him? Did they drop him off at home? But now I realize watching this that there's. There's absolutely nothing on screen or in the script that indicates that he would show up in the TARDIS with them. In fact, it actually sort of implies that he would just be returned to reality. And his reality was falling asleep on his desk. So I suspect he's just back in 1926. Probably is. He does allude to that. So do I get to go home too or something like that? Oh, very much so probably. Yep. So that's that's probably what happened to that, that guy. And he doesn't remember any of the rest of it. Nope, he probably just wakes up from that. Uh, um, there is like some talk that this whole episode, this whole story, is basically a dream um, because we don't get to see the you know the aftermath, I guess, of this. Or do we? I don't remember how the invasion starts, to be honest. Um, but it's almost like they don't really say, "Oh, uh, that was quite something." Well, let's mm-hmm. carry on with our adventures. It's almost like they just sort of woke up, and maybe just like the master. Mm-hmm. He just he wakes up at his desk, and perhaps the doctor, Jamie, and Zoe also have no memory of these events either. Yep, he wakes up at his desk wearing his sweet sparkly yarmulke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a sparkly yarmulke too, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yeah, because in the earlier episodes, when you haven't seen his face yet, all you you've heard his voice and sort of seen him from behind. So you get this. It's not even an over the shoulder shot; it's like mm-hmm. an over the head shot. So all you can see are the sparkles and the what do you call that thing? Squatch, squatchy. Oh, the baseball cap kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. That little buttony thing on the top of it. I told you that yeah. word, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I I learned it from you. Yeah. Um but yeah, so all you can see is like the sparkles and stuff and his his head sort of bobbing. And um and also like since it's sort of over his his, his shoulder kind of you see him uh gesticulating with with a pen, yeah. which I think is a nice touch. He's waving it as if it's a weapon because it is. Uh, the pen is in fact mightier than the sword. Mm-hmm. It is. That, Quite literally. That pen planted a sword in the doctor's hand mm-hmm. to try to trick him into fighting fiction, in which case he would have become fiction. Very sneaky. Very sneaky. Boy, that's clever, isn't it? I never thought about that actually. Oh yeah? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was one of his early plans, you know, and the uh, trying to trick the doctor into writing about himself, which would mm-hmm. also turn him into fiction. This, this this story's got a lot of uh, neat little twists and turns. Although it's, uh, I suppose Jamie and Zoe become f- fiction temporarily because they've gone inside the book and they only speak the words. And so that's why the doctor is able to um, invent a story using them mm-hmm. because if he was to say himself then he would become fiction but jamie and zoe are already fiction at this point mm-hmm. um but of course they managed to become unfiction mm-hmm. they become fact i guess is what you would say <laughs> the doctor factualizes yes. jamie and zoe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep yeah but if he had if he had mentioned himself then he would have become fiction and the only person outside left that would have been able to get him to do stuff would have been the master although like that's not the guy's name it's the master brain he's just being controlled by it we never actually get his name we never do mm-hmm. uh, maybe if we looked closely at the uh, covers of ensign magazine mm-hmm. might have his name on there could be 
Or maybe he named Captain Jack Harkaway after himself, and his name's actually just Jack Harkaway. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> and we have a Captain Jack Harkaway and a Captain Jack Harkness. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to mention that episode three of The Mind Robber, we wouldn't know it because we actually watched the, the actual existing episode, but episode three of The Mind Robber was the last set of telesnaps taken by John Kira, who oh. sadly fell ill and died not too long after that. Um, and thus, uh, and, and his archive of stuff was basically misplaced and destroyed some of them and just went sort of like unused for another 15, 20 years until um, it, they were rediscovered. So uh, pour one out for John Kira, whose images of missing Doctor Who episodes are all that we have um, to go on. Um, as to how certain stories looked way back when. Wow. Yeah, yeah good for him. I, I, just, I am constantly amazed at the ingenuity of, of Doctor Who fans taking the, the scraps um, that are left to sort of reconstruct something. And mm-hmm. it's, it is thanks to him that we have as many scraps as we do many many yeah. well that, he wasn't a fan he was that was his business right. was oh, to, yeah yeah i'm talking about doctor who oh, fans okay, yeah. taking the you know the the hard work that mm-hmm. this that john Kira did all those years ago and um making some really <clears throat> delightful stuff out of it yeah uh in that episode what did we see because they the <laughs> i like how they they uh they get right on with um well fraser hines back so let's just write in the scene and get on with it and that's basically oh my face is back oh oh the house okay let's go and that's it that's all you hear of Hamish Wilson's one episode cameo. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was funny. Oh, that's much better. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I like the Medusa. Wasn't that imp- that was an impressive bit of stop motion animation in nineteen sixties Doctor Who? Yeah, was that taken from something else, or did they make it for Doctor Who? That is made for Doctor Who. Wow. Yep. Dang. Much more effective than the um, the cliffhanger from from last time, which was the the unicorn running at them, and then then they just disbelieve, and then suddenly it's like they're never actually in the same shot with a running unicorn. Yeah. Obviously, they're very rarely in the sh- same shot as the as Medusa too, though. To be fair, that's true. We do we do get her hands, which don't look anything like marble, but uh, no, and they probably weren't attached to the head nope. either. So yeah. No, but it was uh, that was just super impressive to see the uh, the stop motion animation. But it made me think of um, Clash of the Titans, which is where I know about Medusa from. And uh-huh. I first saw you know Perseus looking in his polished shield to be able to to um, defeat Medusa. That's yeah, it's very similar because it also used stop motion animation. It's played by Harry Hamlin. Correct. He's Perseus. Is that his character's name in that? Perseus. Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Burgess Meredith, no, Lawrence, is it Burgess Meredith? Burgess Meredith. Oh, I, re- I remember that. I remember, I've never seen the uh, the newer Clash of the Titans, but I have seen the original. I think I made you watch the original yeah, once because sure I love it. Well, because I wanted to see it because it was like all stop motion mm-hmm. animation, you know, Ray Harryhausen kind of effects. Uh, hilar- not, not Ray Harryhausen kind of effects, Ray Harryhausen it, effects. It was him. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was him or not. <laughs> Funny thing, that movie, only 12 years after The Mind of the Robber. Holy cats. Yeah. Wow. My it was mind. 1981. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Mind blown. Yep. Um, just like uh, it's been 19 years since the futuristic space year of 2000, where the carcass comes from in the strip <laughs> cartoons. 
Oh, that is the thing that I like just sort of half remembered, but I find that just delightful. I mean, just I kind of like laughed at the idea of strip cartoons. Uh, but, you know, we still have strip cartoons and I wouldn't say they're still going super strong, but they, you know, 18 years ago, ni- oh my God, 19 years ago, they were going much, much stronger. Yeah. <laughs> just like there's this weird Germanic superhero with an atomic ray gun as a superhero. So Zoe comes from around the space year 2000. We've determined then from dialogue in this. Well, at least sometime after 2000. That's right. Maybe she reads old stuff. Maybe she's, you know, like me discovering Tintin comics uh, in the 1980s when some of them are written in the 1930s, perhaps. Maybe the carcass is the Tintin comics of the 21st century. Perhaps, hopefully not as racist. <laughs> I mean, it it that that could be the case. Not the racist part, but no. the, uh, I mean, she's, she's a, well, like that too. She is a librarian, you know, so. That's a good point. Maybe she just sort of curates all these and, and spends her breaks dipping into some archive media. Well, she does say we, like we all followed along. So either she's from around the space year of 2000 right. or she has just gotten all of her friends, you know, everybody else on the wheel in space, interested in this old, old thing, which that's a possibility too. We're watching <laughs> exactly. a story from 1968. So yes, it is possible to watch and or read something from over 50 years ago. And get your friends uh, interested and excited about it. Yeah. Otherwise, none of you would be listening to this, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> otherwise, oh, hopefully maybe this week they'll talk about Doctor Who that aired a couple of weeks ago. Nope. We're sticking <laughs> with 1968, folks. Well, I mean, Doctor Who does have the the connection of having the, the newer series that started in 2005 that mm-hmm. encouraged a lot of people to dip back into it. But not everything does. I mean, look at uh, Doctor Who The Writer's Room, the podcast, yeah. which is no longer... Doctor Who the Writer's Room because they finished with the, the Doctor mm-hmm. Who part of it. They're now uh, just the Writer's Room and they're doing The Outer Limits and that's not a thing that has a current version of it. They're just dipping back into a really old show to uh, to talk about it because they think it's cool. It is cool. I've never seen it. I, so I, I have seen it. I remember watching uh, I have a, like a it's one of my earlier memories, just a robot coming through a doorway or something I'm in black and white and it just freaked me out as a kid and it's burned in my brain. That's that's literally the only thing I've ever seen in The Outer Limits. I don't know if I've ever watched any of it. It wasn't, I don't remember it ever being on yeah. at home. And if it was, that's the kind of thing that my parents totally would have watched, but I just don't think we had access to it. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, we do have access to the Mind Robber, steering it back on uh-huh. track again. Um uh, Bernard Horsfall's character Lemuel Gulliver. So I, I don't know the story of Gulliver's travels, indeed the book or anything like that, but apparently all or certainly most of all of all his dialogue is dialogue lifted straight from the from the book. I have read Gulliver's travels. I have not memorized it, uh, but I feel like I've read a, read at least one article about this story that says that that they do a fairly good job, but not everything that he says is is quite quite that strictly from the book. But I don't know. I mean, maybe that article that I, you know, wherever I read that, maybe that wasn't uh, quite right. But it certainly sounds um, forced enough to have have been at least either in the book or very close to it, because it is definitely a that that's the style of the book. Mm-hmm. When is that? That's like seventeen hundreds, isn't it? I think it's fairly old. I know. Hey Google. When was Gulliver's Travels published? Gulliver's Travels was published in 1726. 1726. Good job. That's right. 
I guess at that. I, I don't know if I guessed at that or just <laughs> read <laughs> making up my driver and that's what I was from. But uh, certainly I think some of the lines, especially the ones that the doctor and he are saying together, um, that's where the doctor mm-hmm. sort of twigs that that's who yep. it is. That's probably one taken straight mm-hmm. from it. Probably from the very beginning mm-hmm. of the book. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, what else is in these uh, these episodes? There's kids that are creepy and they laugh at the. Are they supposed to be from something? Because there's just they're just a bunch of kids and they're doing ring around the rosy. Fictitious street urchins. Mm, I guess. Uh, but we also have Rapunzel, who really wants to meet a prince or a woodcutter's son. I don't know the story of Rapunzel either. Oh my! Apart from the fact that she has the long hair, uh-huh. but that's it. That's all I know. Didn't you read fairy tales? As I, a- I didn't read that one. No, I know of the name Rapunzel, but I don't know okay. the origin story of her. All right. Well, I I have my 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 now coverless book of fairy tales that I've had since I was like four or five years old. Yeah. Um, it's just on the. It's one of the few books I kept when I moved to Canada. It's over there. I'm gonna bust it out, and we're gonna read Rapunzel when we're done with this. Okay. It's something to look forward to. Can you just sum it up for me? So she's in the tower, and she wants a prince or a woodcutter's son, and then they have to. Uh, somebody climbs it, and then there's a giant up there, and then it says, you took my magic beans, and then they throw them. And then there's a goose that lays a golden egg, and then some evil stepsisters cut off their toes and their heels, and... Jeez, what? I don't know if things were cut... Really? Is that Cinderella, too? That's in Cinderella, yeah. Oh, Ashen Puddle. Uh, is that the name of the mice? No, Ashen Puddle is the name of the story as I read it as a child. Ashton Kutcher? What? <laughs> All right. I, I feel like we actually aren't that far afield talking about fairy tales because because the mind robber is is all all about the fictional and it, you know mm-hmm. the the master and master brain live in a castle this the citadel that's you know up on up on the uh, on the cliffs. Yeah. We get Lancelot. Mm-hmm. We get Blackbeard. We get Cyrano de Bergerac. I've never heard it pronounced that way. I've always heard Cyrano. I don't know which is right. I'm gonna trust Cyrano just because it's from England. Well, they did get Ensign right, so I guess I'm just going to trust everything that uh, that the master says. So, uh-huh. uh, so yeah, that was I did I did enjoy the sort of like the fictional fight back and forth. It reminded me of that scene in uh, the Sword and the Stone where they're having the wizard battle, where they're turning themselves into different um, into different creatures to try to defeat one another. I don't know if you've seen the uh, Sword and the Stone. Is that the same book as Rapunzel? Oh my god! Trolling you? No, I've never seen. Is it that a Disney movie? It is a Disney uh, movie. Yeah, like the Rescuers era, that kind of thing. Or I don't know when that is. Uh, like early seventies, P- possibly. I've never seen the Rescuers either. I've never seen the Rescuers. Yeah, so. it's got like chipmunks on a plane or something like that. It seems kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, Chippendales Rescue Rangers was was pretty cool. My sister used to watch that show. Maybe that was a, maybe that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, but anyway, it was, you know, the, the, any kind of create, any kind of battle that is founded on creativity that, that always interests me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was all shot on film too. Oh yeah. I only mentioned that just because, uh, episode five, I, I pointed out, doesn't this sound crisper and look better because it was the mass, the original master is 35 millimeter as opposed to a videotape transferred to 60 millimeter for overseas sales. Uh, probably because there was a lot of editing in that with like the special effect of the doctor sort of being there and like fading off in the distance and the jumping back from like Jamie and Zoe being like 
near the kids and on top of the castle and inside the book. There's a there was a lot of post production that episode. Well, post post production, a lot of editing, I suppose. Uh, and in terms of pre production, that giant book is awesome. I was impressed by that book because when Jamie and Zoe are pushing it in episode five, you can see both sides of the book. Mm-hmm. There's pages on it. Yeah. And in episode four at the cliffhanger, uh, they disappear into the book and you can't see the one side. So I just assumed that there was going to be like a trap door kind of thing mm-hmm. where they could both fit in there and the, and the book could close. And then you look how the book closes. It's not like just two big giant planks nope. of wood. Those like they, it, the, the pages kind of move. There's pages. There's yeah. multiple pages in that giant book. I was so impressed. Yeah. Um, Evan Hercules. What a, what a name for a designer of this kind of story. <laughs> Evan Hercules is the designer and he did he did some great work on this, I thought. He did. He really did. I liked the, I liked how when uh, Jamie and Zoe are um, sneaking through the library of, of all of the books ever written, uh, that it's basically cardboard cutouts of bookshelves. But yeah. then when it's the doctor uh, running away from the robots who can't climb, he's mm-hmm. climbing up an actual bookshelf. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I kind of like the fact. I mean, that's a great thing. I mean, some parts you look at and there's like sort of quite clearly just sort of a cardboard cutout of a castle in the background and there's cardboard cutouts of bookshelves. But just Mm -hmm. the way this story is, no, it's probably not intentional, but yes, it works because it's almost like this this whole world is just a facade. There's no real uh, actual fiction going on here. It's just a sort of fake fiction that's Mm -hmm. sort of designed to trap the doctor and his friends. I mean, Jamie is a cardboard cutout for a while. That's true. He is. And, I mean, you know, let's face it. The TARDIS has one entire wall that's just a photo blow-up printout, Mm -hmm. too, all the time, which means the TARDIS is always a little bit fictional. (gasps) I've never thought of that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Pretty cool. Wow. What a meta story this is. Mm Mm-hmm. It is. It's just there's just so many little bits and pieces that I like. You know, we haven't even talked about Zoe's fight scene with the carcass and just <laughs> how delighted she seems throughout that and the way she's just like hopping from toe to toe and yeah. yep. Wendy Perrett Padbury hated it because she thought she should it should have gone better. But that you know, fight scenes in most T V shows are edited and shot single camera and stuff. That is like Two non-fighters have to basically do a fight in a TV studio, a multicam. So yeah, it's it it turned out pretty well, I thought. Given that, I thought it looked fine. I mean, he's literally flipping over. Yeah. What more do you want, people? I don't want any more. I thought it was great. Uh, me too. I know. There's a couple times where, like, you know, Wendy Padbury sort of like holds up her arm, waiting for him to fall, and then so she can flip him. But I thought I thought it was pretty well. I mean, I'm, I, we've seen a number of fight scenes in Doctor Who, and I would not put this at the bottom of the barrel by any stretch. Mm-hmm. No, would I. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else about, about this, this last three episodes, the, the story itself? Um, boy, I feel like there were plenty of things that, that I noticed and that I really enjoyed, but it's hard watching all three in a row and then trying to talk about all of them to remember all the little things, which is fine. We don't need to go into like no. super great detail. That was never the idea of this podcast. The ticker tape machine, that thing that sort of spit out the words. There's a bunch of wee words coming out of this that Jamie says. <laughs> I did like how he managed to get there and discovered the, you know, the, the, I keep wanting to say magic eye. That's not what it is. Um, the, trapped door 
basically. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the security um, thing. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and then is like he's he's figuring a lot. Well, he's not really figuring stuff out, but he's you know discovering things and learning about it so that mm-hmm. when the doctor shows up, he can kind of point them out. And oh yeah, that was the other thing. Zoe is kind of dumb. <laughs> yep. A number of times, and I my head canon is just that she is such a creature of logic that being thrust into a world of fiction where things just happen because somebody says so does not do anything uh, great for her mental state. So she has a tough time. You know, she's such a logical person. Like, she sees something, it's real. She's yeah. got the evidence of her eyes. So it's really hard for her to disbelieve in something that's, that's right there. Like Medusa. Exactly. Um, or even the unicorn. So, mm-hmm. and the Minotaur. So it, it throws her off in a great big way, which is why she kind of panics and runs through the doorway, even though she knows that she shouldn't run through the doorway mm-hmm. because then it will set off the alarms, that sort of thing. Yeah. Also that uh, Jamie almost is a future hat tip to the people who perhaps might only be able to listen to the story many years hence. He basically narrates his actions yep. and reads along out loud so the, the people doing the audiobook will go, ah, good, Jamie's Fraser Hines just saying all of his lines out loud and stuff and we can hear what he's thinking so we don't have to connect the dots. That's that's just like a classic thing in all of Doctor Who. Yeah. Whenever there's a character by themselves on screen, they're they're going to talk to themselves. It's just... It's not just the doctor, it's everybody. It's not just television, but as we referred to in our spin-off podcast in the, uh, in the village, um, it is not like uh, um, Patrick McGoohan to do it, though, because what we saw from oh, Fraser Hines yeah. in that is something Patrick McGoohan never did, more or less, in The Prisoner. That is very true. Yep. Yeah. It was made around the same time. Oh, yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. Wow, that's looked different. Did a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Is that it? Um, this, this, com- this brings to an end... Uh, this podcast right now, but also this brings to an end the last um, long production block of Doctor Who episodes that went from basically the Abominable Snowman all the way until the end of this. The longest um, production block after this will be the next one, and the longest one after that won't be as long as that. So we are now moving into shorter production blocks um, to appease Patrick Troughton because uh, it was becoming to be a bit of a drain. So the next one's only 35 episodes total as opposed to like 45 or, or some. Still only 35 episodes thinking about British television now, which like, you know, sometimes it's six. Like, wow. Yeah. And and you know, so th- we're still in season six. Um, and the next story, as they said at the end of episode five, is the invasion. And they were making those far out enough in advance that they would sort of have a week in between um, each story to do like location filming for the next story as opposed to going during rehearsals of the current story to yeah. do that. So that's something that Patrick Trent really want. So by at the beginning, they're they're working well ahead. By the end of the production block and indeed season six, they will be working literally one week ahead of broadcast. Ooh, that's tight. Yeah. That, uh, it will never get as tight as that um, for the rest of time in Doctor Who. Um but uh, I, I'm looking forward to watching The Invasion um, with you next. It's an eight-parter, as you know. Oh, I know. I just rewatched it at last year sometime for Verity, I think. Yeah, was it for <gasps> Isabel? It was for, yeah, it was for Isabel. Isabel Watkins, yeah. Yeah, because she's Zoe's companion. 
companion's companion. That's right. So we'll just have to forget everything that we <laughs> saw then and try to watch it anew. Well, we've never watched it really together and for reviewing purposes like this. So it'll be new to us in that way. Yep, definitely. Awesome. Well, until that time then, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>